You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. So we're about a full year into the COVID-19 pandemic at this point, so there's no question we've learned a lot about what we should and shouldn't be doing in our dental practices. One thing is for sure, we need to pay special attention to reducing dental aerosols in order to protect both our staff and our patients. Joining us today to give us some insight and recommendations related to dental aerosol containment is Dr. Martin Koch, the lead biotechnology expert at Air Techniques and Dura Dental, and Mr. Manny Gutierrez, someone who has incredible experience and expertise in installing and servicing state-of-the-art dental equipment and software. And if I can address both of you by your first name, that would be great. Uh, Martin and Manny, welcome to Dental Talk. It's a pleasure to have you both on the show. Hi, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here. Very happy to have you both. So we'll begin with Martin. Why should doctors be concerned about dental aerosol containment? So, Phil, let me answer that by a quote from some uh, Chinese scientists right from February this year. They uh, say people are working in dentistry have the highest risk of contracting corona. So that was a great statement in these days. So, But I think 10 months after that, um, well, we can have some some other discussions about that. And let me answer that by three topics. First, well, it's widely known that spray mist is a possible risk of pathogen transmission. And when we go back to the 70s and 80s, well, it was kind of uh, occupational disease being infected by hepatitis B in these days. Well, today it's quite clear that there is a theoretical infection with tuberculosis, for example, hepatitis C, uh, and this has also been outlined Well, and second, we know in dentistry, there are a lot of procedures where we produce a lot of aerosols. Well, we call them AGPs, or aerosol generating procedures. So whenever we use a turbine or straight angle handpiece or water jet handpiece, surgical or ultrasound device, all these devices that have been cooled by water, Whenever we use them, we produce a lot of particles, a lot of aerosols. Well, we call it spray mist, but finally it's aerosol plus big droplets. And even when we use the three-in-one piston, which we can't avoid, we produce aerosols. So, well, we can't avoid them. That's my personal opinion. Well, and it's uh, widely known that these spray mist, these aerosols, they contaminate yeah, up to six feet, and they are in the ambient air for up to 30 minutes. So on the other side, there is a possible pathogen transmission. We know that uh, aerosols contaminate a lot of areas. We know we can't avoid them. So the discussion is now, what about SARS-CoV-2? We have to understand that a dental aerosol is something completely different than an aerosol, a medical aerosol, or an aerosol you generate by singing and speaking. Due to the high number of the viruses, well, we estimate between uh, 10 and 100 million per milliliter of saliva. I think it seems to be quite the quite probable um, that there is a risk, but Once again, the evidence is not clear, um, and even the infection dose that you need that is required to be 
uh, infected by SARS-CoV-2 is not clear. So it's still a risk and all we can do is doing a risk assessment and strategies to mitigate this risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned that, of course, the, the risk is in the aerosol and you say that a dental aerosol is different than an aerosol that would occur when just having a conversation with somebody. So it seems to me the aerosol in a dental office, I assume, would be more dangerous. Is that right? Is that the uh, prevailing thought? No, you know, you, ha you have uh, to understand that a dental aerosol is always a mixture. It's a, it's a mixture of minimum 95% water and then some blood particles, a little bit saliva, but also tooth substance or prophylactic powder. So, and that's the big difference to the aerosol you generate by speaking and singing. That's the first answer. And the second answer is, you know, when you sing and uh, speak, the size of the aerosol particles are quite low. They are approximately 10 microns and lower. And we know nowadays that especially these small particles can enter the alveoli in the lung. And maybe, but this is also not uh, proven, this is a higher risk to be infected, yes, and maybe a higher risk to gain COVID-19. So the good news is when, you know, there is a questionnaire from the ADA uh, uh, this year and the ratio of infected patients or infected dentists is not higher than, well, in the common population. So I think dental aerosols are less infectious as medical aerosols as we thought. But nevertheless, there is a risk, so we have to reduce the risk. Okay, so that's great news. Yeah, that's something I'm learning now because I absolutely, even this far into the pandemic, assumed that a dental aerosol was more dangerous because it just created, you know, more particles and, and uh, the aerosol was probably more concentrated. Obviously, your expertise uh, sways me to believe that that is not true, which is that's why we do these podcasts. So let me ask you this. Um, are there any physical procedures that the dental team should do in order to mitigate aerosol containment at this time? You always generate aerosols. You can't avoid that. You know, in the first uh, months of uh, this year, politics, they say, OK, you have to reduce AGPs. You have to go back to hand instrumentation. But I think this is not a solution um, because we don't want to go back. We use turbines. We use ultrasound devices because there is a, me a medical uh, indication behind that. So for that reason, we have to face that dental aerosol. So we need mitigation strategy. And one mitigation strategy is an intraoperal evacuation. And that's a, a mitigation strategy that we use since decades. But the question is, how efficient is intraoral evacuation? Do we need other strategies like air purification systems are extra raw. And therefore we perform a study this year to prove the efficiency of these kind of intraoral evacuation systems, because I think to reduce the aerosol at source is the best mitigation strategy ever. You're saying that the vacuum system obviously plays a role in this. Yes, that's right. Um, so let me tell you about this uh, study we performed this year. The interesting thing is that since the 70s, worldwide, we use these so-called HVE systems, so high-volume evacuation systems. So before the 70s, we just use our saliva evacuator. But then 
these HVE systems rise up. But interesting is that in Europe, there is a complete different philosophy. In Europe, we use suction systems that are optimized on flow rates. So 10 STFM is a standard flow rate in Europe, while in other countries and also in the US, many suction systems are optimized to vacuum. So the question is, uh, and that was the questions, uh, the question we, we try to answer during our study, what is the right strategy? Vacuum, flow rate, or is it the design of the HVE cannula or the suction technique? Yeah, so that's the question. Mm -hmm. So, and therefore we perform a pilot study we use a mannequin, so it's an in vitro study, and we use a new high-speed imaging technique that is normally used to, to measure and detect sprays in, uh, in industry. Mm -hmm. And this technique is called shadow imaging. Well, it's the same technique like you play with your children and you, you, you build up a shadow on the wall yeah, with a light, uh, a, f a flashlight. So it's, but it's, computerized and it's uh, well a high-speed imaging technique and with this technique we can really measure the particles that emit from a patient's mouth so we can measure the velocity we can count them we can measure the size and we can compare different um, procedures medical procedures so what happened if you use a turbine running with 400,000 uh, rounds per minute? What happened if we use a powder jet handpiece? And we can compare uh, different evacuation possibilities. So saliva ejector, high volume, low volume, high vacuum, low vacuum. And the most interesting result is or was that, well, that's not surprising. A saliva extractor is not efficient to remove all aerosols. Our efficiency depends on the position between 20 and 40%. So 60% of the particles, they are not aspirated. They are just uh, emit the mouth and generate this platter and this aerosol particles. And the second result was that vacuum is absolutely not important. So the most important factor is flow rate. and. Mm -hmm. That's quite easily to explain because, you know, these particles, they emit the mouth with a specific velocity. And you have to slow down these particles by a force. And this force is flow rate. So flow rate is the key. Um, how, does, how, does well, a dentist, how does a dentist regulate the flow rate? And we're going to be getting into questions to Manny about this as well. <laughs> but that's the question. So if flow rate is so important, what does a dentist do to make sure that flow rate is operating so that it can work um, to, to do its job? You know, normally the, fl the flow rate is fixed. There are some uh, couplings between the HVE and the hose where you can adapt the flow rate or change the flow rate, but normally it's fixed. Mm -hmm. It's a physical parameter that depends on, especially on the diameters. And that's one tip I can give. Uh, use cannula with a wide diameter because if you use a small cannula that builds up a resistance against uh, the airflow uh, so and that will ruin the flow rate so you need wide diameters and then suction systems that are optimized 
to vacuum. Yes, you need the vacuum to, to generate flow rate, but the physical effect is flow rate. Um, just one another tip. Uh, you know, in most cases, there are these yellow filters installed yeah, in the suction line. Mm -hmm. And in, if these yellow filters are blocked by alginate or whatever, yeah, you ruin the flow rate. So um, that's just a quite easy tip. Clean these filters, clean the suction line, and this will optimize the flow rate. And flow rate is the key. And the good news is that with uh, sufficient flow rate, you can really reduce 100% of the particles that would normally emit the mouth. And that's yeah, that, that is, ideal good news. That's, that's fantastic news. So, so Manny, uh, coming off of that very interesting study that Martin did uh, to emphasize the importance of flow rate, what can office staff do to ensure that their vacuum system is operating at its peak performance uh, to get the best results as far as aerosol removal? Yeah, so as Martin said, uh, flow rate's normally fixed per the vacuum unit. So now, more than ever, it's important for the offices to know what is happening in their mechanical rooms. First and foremost, this means that the systems or the vacuum systems should be maintained properly. Um, this includes making sure that filters that are physically present on the vacuum units are clear and free from debris, as well as replacing them at the manufacturer's recommended interval. In some cases, many offices allow them to just uh, if they look okay, they leave them longer than the manufacturer's recommended interval. And in many cases, we believe it's best to replace them to make sure that there's no blockages that could degrade the vacuum performance. On certain dry vacuum systems, there's just a sight glass that the office has to physically see to make sure that no water or liquids or debris are getting to the vacuum pump, which could cause degraded performance as well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, do, do now, most of these offices maintain their own vacuums or do they have a service technician come in and do this on a regular basis? Essentially, um, there are tasks that the office staff has to do and there are tasks that are only assigned to service technicians. So in the event of um, if the office is doing their due diligence, which is, you know, making sure the vacuum filters are clean, that they're cleaning their lines with a non-foaming cleaner that wouldn't cause a negative effect to the vacuum systems, they're there are still maintenance items that service technicians need to do themselves. And when they come in for those services, they check to make sure that the water lines going into the vacuum systems are um, not plugged, that there's serviceable yearly components on the vacuum systems that are replaced or at least checked. And they can also check to make sure that the plumbing is correctly um, installed for the office and that vacuum system. I mean, this is so important. Uh, I'm not sure many of the doctors know how important flow rate is to this whole aerosol containment process. Well, on that topic, since flow rate is fixed, if they're sure that they're doing their due diligence with maintenance and service on a yearly basis and monthly basis and weekly basis, the additional thing they can do is have their systems measured for flow performance. And our air techniques representatives are equipped with new flow meters that can actually measure the flow at the tip of the HVE which is the most important part of the whole process. So someone from Air Techniques would come into the office um, and the office would call Air Techniques and say they wanted to get a flow rate test just to ensure optimization? Correct. But really, what can be done other than making sure the filters are cleaned and diameters are optimal? The actual vacuum system is set, like you said, to create a sp specific flow rate. Exactly. So it's really just if they have the proper vacuum system, and they have the proper plumbing done, all they have to do is keep up with their maintenance. 
And obviously for peace of mind, they can have their system measured because not all vacuum systems are created the same either. Really interesting stuff. I mean, there should be some CDC guideline for dentists that actually talk about making sure flow rate is up to what the vacuum is capable of creating. It's obvious the vacuum system, like you're saying, could create a certain flow rate, but over time that flow rate is going to decrease just based on the, the various uh, maintenance issues that could occur in an office. Correct. That- Correct. And as Dr. Cox said also, there are um, systems that are, have been optimized for the vacuum level or the, or the vacuum um, power as opposed to the flow rate which means that they're better at lifting liquids or blood or other solids from the patient's oral cavity, but not as effective at removing aerosols. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Another question for you, Martin, regarding airflow, and uh, not to use the word flow again to confuse people, but dentists are using like window fans and various types of air filtration systems. Did you do anything with your study about that? No, that wasn't related. Uh, But I know that our big discussions uh, about using air filtering systems or extra oral evocation systems. And I think there is no need If you perform a good intraoral evacuation, and uh, important information is that a saliva extractor is not good enough. You know, there are a lot of people who work alone. They just use the saliva extractor. The HVE is there, but they don't use it. So it's a question of training. People don't want to change something. So it's a kind of training and just the CDC, for example, they recommend using four-handed dentistry, mm-hmm. and that's the point. Really have to optimize the intraoral suction. Well, you ask me about windows. Yes, there are some recommendations worldwide, uh, especially when you treat a risk patient. Then you have to, let's say, uh, you have to, to wait approximately 30 minutes, and during this 30 minutes, you have to open the window, dilute the air to remove each aerosol. Also, that aerosols, uh, that is generated by speaking. You talk to the, your patient. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And for my opinion, and there are some measurements, human beings, by speaking, yeah, generate much more aerosol than during the dental treatment. So yeah. to open the window makes sense. Yeah? And to be honest, the highest risk is the break room. Very interesting point. Uh, and a very interesting perspective. Well, thank you very much, both of you, uh, Martin and Manny, for some incredible insight on this. I certainly learned something about flow rate. And I think every dentist out there uh, or dental assistant or whoever is listening to this podcast should uh, ask someone to come in to check their system for flow rate. And if you're using an air techniques system, which I know is state of the art, it's the premium system out there, certainly one of the top systems in the the world, please call your air techniques representative and and ask them to send someone in to check your flow rate and see if everything's running optimally. Thank you very much, gentlemen, and uh, hope to hear from you soon and hope this pandemic gets under control soon. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Phil.